Hello and welcome back to What Is It About the Weather? I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and since we talked a couple weeks ago, there sure has been no shortage of weather events. From a pretty impressive mid-latitude cyclone off the Iberian Peninsula to a major tropical cyclone off the coast of Madagascar, some late-season heavy snows in the interior United States near the Rocky Mountains, Uruguay got in in the act with a, an impressive F4 tornado, and most recently, the past week, floods have been the name of the game. Uh, Santiago, Chile had uh, a huge flooding event in the capital city with millions without water and, and power for a couple of days. And then following that, Houston had areas that received over a foot, uh, even in some cases close to two feet of, of rain in the southeastern Texas area in roughly a 12 to 24 hour period. So there, there's been no shortage of weather events. And, um, you know, the flooding ones have been interesting and it actually leads into the topic of the day where we're gonna be talking about probabilities. And, you know, you often hear things like a one in a hundred year flood and we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But, you know, there's a good chance, um, you know, wherever you've been that there's been some uh, good weather in the news. Hopefully it's been weather you've enjoyed as well. Um, and that uh, those around you have not been overly impacted by these events. So let's let's talk a little bit about today's topic. Uh, today I wanted to get into the concept of probabilities or odds, as you will have seen in the show title, as they relate to the weather. Now, one of the most well-known areas in which probabilities have been expressed in weather forecast for a very long time has been probability of precipitation. And, you know, those usually come with a very direct number, you know, 40%, 50% chance, something along those lines. But if you think about it, weather forecasts have indirectly been delivering you uh, forecast information in a probabilistic nature. When you think about partly cloudy or mostly sunny or temperatures near or around or, you know, however um, the outlet where you get your weather forecast provides those forecasts to you, there's been a lot of what I would call qualitative probabilities, so more of an indirect flavor to them. But you also notice these things are becoming more common in this day and age. And in a future episode, we're going to talk a little bit about why probabilistic forecasts are good for you and how to leverage what they're telling you because they convey a lot of useful information in, in helping your decision process. But that's kind of a, that's a step forward, and I wanted to kind of bring it back to the basis of where do the probabilities come from, what do they really mean, uh, so that we have that basis, that common basis to work from when we get into that future conversation. So let's talk a little bit. A, a little bit. Um, we're going to start with the outward or the output forecast side of it, but then we're gonna get into the inputs that drive that forecast as well. But let's do this probability of precipitation. Now, I once heard a joke uh, levied by a, a meteorologist who said, if you put a room full of meteorologists together, none of them would give you the same definition of what probability of precipitation means. And that's probably very true. It's, uh, it's a term that can cause some confusion, and it's easy to do that because, well, when you, when you think about the term and you go and you read the, def the, the official definition of what the term means, 
it doesn't necessarily clear it up. You don't all of a sudden reach conclusion of, oh, well, that makes complete sense. There's a lot of room for interpretation. So what, what exactly does um, probability of precipitation mean? So if you look at it, the actual text definition is the probability of precipitation. Now, this is the National Weather Service definition. Describes the chance of precipitation occurring at any point you select in a given area. So, you know, it, you think, okay, well, uh, that's how much rain I'm going to get. Well, see, there I already went wrong. And let's talk about why even interpreting it that way might put you off the mark and how you need to think about it or how you should think about it. You know, this weather stuff's complicated, isn't it? Um, but if you step back a little bit and you think about um, a simple statement like that and, and interpreting it, there are different ways that it's been interpreted. And, you know, it's interesting. This particular phrase has been studied multiple times in meteorological journals, in risk analysis journals. I mean, I'll put some links in the show notes, but this is not a trivial topic. I mean, people have thought long and hard about this. And the message that's being communicated and how it can be misinterpreted. So let's start with a couple of those things. So if you if you look at the show notes and, and want to go look at the journals uh, that I reference, they'll talk about some of the common misinterpretations. Now, one of them has always been it's a percentage of time. Like if it's supposed to rain 20% tomorrow, that means 20% of the time I'm going to see rain. Well, actually, if you look at the statement um, that I read and think about the statement I read, there's no indication of time anywhere in that. So that time is really not an element, but it, it's one that's commonly interpreted. The other piece is, and, and you know, that might also come out of places where it rains a lot. And so maybe, you know, their assumption is, well, I, I'm going to see, let's say that it's 50% chance of rain, maybe 50% of the time, 50% of the time, I'm going to see sun during the day. But you know, again, the time element is not really what's being conveyed per se, even though a forecast is issued for a period of time. The other one comes into an area in which you are. So if you hear an on-air uh, meteorologist say, well, there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow, um, it's easy to go, well, that means that 40% of the area is going to have rain or something along those lines. Now, these are probably the most common um, what are considered misinterpretations of the phrase. But another one that, that's kind of equally as important is if you hear a forecaster, and this gets back to the any point concept, is if you hear a, a, a meteorologist on the air, television, internet, whatever, say, you know, there's a 30% chance of rain tomorrow, you think to yourself, okay, they're talking to me. You know, I, I just had this eye-to-eye -eye contact with them, and somehow they're conveying to me that there is this percentage of a chance that I'm going to have rain tomorrow. And this gets back to that any point. Now, you're at a specific point, and it's important to realize that there's really a big difference here. If the forecaster was issuing a forecast that's blanketed, you know, if the conditions were going to be the same across every point in their forecasting domain, you, you could make that interpretation. But given that it's any point, this means that it's a reflection of the area, the total area, plus all the points within that area. So you may have a 100% chance of rain where you're sitting. And, and you can take examples. Let, like, let's think about... Um, you know, you're in 
northwestern United States and um, or you know some point in Europe or anywhere where their frontal boundaries are going to come through. But let's say you're in an area that that the forecast and the models are showing clearly is going to get rain and you know, it's almost midnight when you're getting the weather forecast and they're telling you that there's a 50% chance of rain, but you look at the radar and it's sweeping through your area. Well, there's probably more realistic that you in your specific spot are going to get 90 or 100%. Now, in contrast to that, if you're in, I don't know, a, a more tropical area, whether it's, you know, the southeastern U.S., like a location like Florida or anywhere, you know, in the islands in the Caribbean and other things that have more of a of a tropical nature where they tend to have these daily showers, but the coverage is not always 100%. Again, your if the forecast is for 50% chance of rain, the likely, likeliness is somewhere is going to get rain because that's just kind of the nature of things. Um, if you're in these areas that get repetitive rainstorms every day, but it may not be that that whole area gets rain. So again, this is what, you know, the challenge of, reflecting this is because forecasts are not point forecast. And when you think, and, and, and even for me, I mean, I spent some time living up um, in the Great Lakes region of the U.S. where they have lake effect snows that are driven. Now, that person may have a tiny forecast area, but even still, the band of lake effect snow, it's going to hit somewhere because it's already going on. And, and, you know, it's pretty certain. Again, it may not be fully certain, but it may be 80 or 90 percent. However, for their forecast area, it may only be 20 percent. And so a lot of times you'll hear forecasters in specific regions kind of quantify their forecast about precipitation, trying to tag it more specifically to a specific area within the larger forecast area because it allows them to do that. But really, if we get back to the fullness of the definition, what those probabilities are really reflecting, so if you take truly precipitation, um, probabilities of precipitation and put an, e put an equal sign, it's really a reflection of confidence times the area. So if someone, you know, if a forecaster is looking and preparing their model forecast and all the inputs and they say, okay, well, I know that part of this domain, there's a really good chance they're going to get some rain. The other part, it's highly unlikely they're going to get rain, but they've got to issue a generalized forecast. That may turn out to be, confidence may be, you know, only confident for part of the region, but not the other part of the region. So again, if they're able to further subdivide it, it makes their job maybe a little bit easier. But if you take that confidence times the area, and, and again, a lot of times this does get into um, types of weather where we would call it in the southeastern U.S. popcorn sum summertime showers. And you know them and you see them and, and these things can go on and be around a, a city or an area where, with a high population, but maybe only 25% of the population is going to see one of those showers, but it's almost a given they're going to happen. So you've got to reflect that. You've got to mu multiply that confidence, but you got to reflect it. So I know that there's going to be rain. Maybe I'm 90% sure but I've got to then reflect it by the area that I'm forecasting for it and think about how much of my forecast area is going to see rain relative to the area of, of rain itself. So when you're, when you're thinking about it, you've got to go and say, I as a person, when I've been given a 30% chance of rain, whether I'm at this point in an area or any given point, there's a 30% chance of rain, but that's an area forecast. It's not a point forecast. So again, you may be in a position that's 
has much better odds of getting rain. So it's important to keep in mind and, and try to dig a little deeper into that forecast when you're given that probability. And this is one of the challenges of probabilities that we have is they can provide a lot of useful information, but it's got to be done within context. So the next time you hear probability percentage of uh, a rain chance in your forecast or probability of precipitation, whatever wording's used, just keep in mind how large the area is. And if you hear something like 40% or 20% or 70% or something that's kind of in that middle range, you might best look a little deeper at what's driving that forecast and understand if there's just a roughly 50% chance that, you know, showers are going to move through the other area and they're going to be hit and miss, or what is the dynamics of that precipitation forecast to make a more effective decision about what plans you might want to alter or change or how it might impact whether you carry an umbrella with you that day, etc. So hope that's helped. If anything, maybe I made it more complicated. Um, but the reality is it's, it's not as simple as, as people like to make it. So the long and the short of it is, though, if a broadcast meteorologist is giving you a forecast and they say there's a 30% chance of rain tomorrow, they are not talking that that forecast is specific for your spot. It's specific for any spot in a broad sense. And so you gotta you got to consider the area as a whole. So let's stop from the, the rain piece of it and let's move from rains to floods because, you know, we've had these recent floods and there's another phrase that often comes out and it's related to the, you, you, and you'll hear them, you know, once in a hundred years, once in a thousand years, whatever it might be type flood events. Now, a meteorologist friend of mine, Laura Blanchard, who's with the National Weather Service office in Peachtree City in Georgia, in 2009, Atlanta had a big major flood event, and it was called a you know one in a 10,000 year flood event initially. Now she did some analysis, and I'm going to put a link in this because it's a really good kind of overview of how the process is, um, what processes are used, excuse me, that give you the probabilities of how the return periods are going to be on these type of events. Now, rain is actually harder to do than floods. A lot of times with floods, you have sediment samples and things that go back much longer than we've been measuring rainfall. But rain or any event, and you know, you need to keep this in mind when you think about weather and, and the how long we've been keeping um, very highly accurate readings and even the challenges that we have now. Um, if you watch the video uh, the last vidcast where I talked about siding a weather station, you can understand how not properly siding a station that's collecting valuable information, if it's not done right, could skew uh, the statistics in a given area. So think about that and keep those things in mind. But, you know, flooding, we have some of these river things. But if you're trying to do it from a rain event, and that's actually what she was she was doing in the analysis, was analyzing the rain event more than the specific flood event. And so in looking at it, she looked at different stations, you know, around where this rainfall um, episode took place. And what, you know, her final analysis found that it was actually much longer than one in 10,000 years. So one in 10,000 was a reasonable estimate. It, it You know, it wasn't an exaggeration. It wasn't like one in 10,000 was going to turn around and be, you know, one in 100, which would have been a bad thing. But um, again, Take a look at the show notes um, and and take a look at this. The actual the write up was in um, a newsletter, and so it, it's kind of written to convey what the process is. And when you don't have a lot of readings, how you can go 
in create to create synthetic readings to give you a sample size large enough. And that's always the thing with statistics. There's two things to keep in mind. One is you need large sample sizes. Without them, you, you usually can't discern useful information. And two, if you're not careful, statistics can kind of tell you whatever you want it is to tell you. So always make sure that if someone says, well, this, you know, one in four or whatever, understand what they're really talking about and make sure that uh, you're not just taking the statistic at face value. So what do those one in a hundred or one in a thousand? Well, this is another thing. It's kind of like um, probability of precipitation that people misunderstand or misconstrue sometimes. And the reason it happens is people hear one in a hundred and they think, okay, we're generally safe for another hundred years. But you know what? The best way to think about this is anything. And gamblers always know this. Um, for those of you that don't gamble in any way, it can be a little harder uh, to interpret. But the idea is that any given year, a certain statistic holds. So if something is one in a hundred, that means in any given year, we're back to this anything again, that in any given year, you have a 1% chance that that flooding event is going to happen. It's not a huge percentage, but that doesn't mean that two of them can't happen back to back. And so that's important to keep in mind. You know, if you roll dice, you know, how many of our times, you know, the odds on getting a two, two ones on one on each die, it's not, you know, not likely to happen each time. You're more likely to get a middle number. And that's, you know, we get into things about distributions because, you know, it's more likely that it's, you're going to end up in a, in some sort of combination of numbers. that's going to put you in a central range, but that doesn't mean you can't roll the same thing twice. Okay. And that's how, that's how Vegas makes their living is, uh, trying to understand how people are going to respond to probabilities because it really is all about probability. So again, one in a hundred, just it's giving you a percentage that it could happen, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't have three times in a, three years in a row that it could happen and then not happen again for 300 more years. The idea is that it's, it's an averaging out over time, but when you have really large numbers like one in a hundred or one in a thousand, you know, the return periods on that thousand years it, it's so long to create the sample size, and this is, again, the challenges we have sometimes with these things, is the sample size is needing to be large enough to give you the valid statistics, is people just misconstrue it, and they think, oh, well, it, it happened recently. And even sometimes the, people make, a, you know, kind of this thing where, well, you know, it, it's happened in the last 10 years. It's not likely to happen again. Well, you're right. The statistics would say the odds are not that it's going to happen again, but that mean, doesn't mean that it won't happen again. So, again, it's, you know, different ways of looking at things, but it's always good to step back when someone delivers a probability or statistic to you and make sure that you really understand it from the frame of reference. And this includes, of course, with meteorology, where uh, probabilities, like I said, are becoming more common. But because they can convey important information about confidence and uncertainty, it is a very useful piece of information for you to have. Now, one of the reasons that probabilities are becoming more common in weather forecasting is because the models that, that meteorologists use to do forecasting are becoming more sophisticated. And they do something um, with this, the modeling, so the, the old style modeling, you ran it and you gave it certain information and it ran through once and it spit out a forecast for you for so many days in different locations. 
But the newer models do something called ensemble forecasting. And I'm going to put in the show notes uh, reference to a, a short little video done by another friend of mine, Mark Elliott, over at the Weather Channel, who was trying to convey what this ensemble forecasting means. And he used an interesting example where everybody takes a sheet of paper and they fold it to make a paper airplane. And then they all stand roughly in the same spot. You know, kind of hard to do it, you know, all in the same location. And they throw their paper airplane. And all these paper airplanes go different places. Now, it, in a general sense, conveys the idea. The challenge with forecasting weather, or so one of the biggest challenges we have, is the data that is ingested in these models. In some areas, it's very dense, very concentrated, very well represented. But if you think about all the different layers of the atmosphere, if you think about these vast areas over the oceans, a lot of that data is interpreted from satellites or other sources. And there's room for error, as you can imagine. So the goal of ensemble prediction is to determine how sensitive the forecast is to the potential errors that are going to be driven by, one, that, that data, and two, just the physics of the model. So as the models over time, you know, as, as our computing power is increased and the models have become um, much more we're higher resolution, uh, both in, in time and temporally, so, t you know, how, how often they can be run, they can, you know, some of them are run, um, you know, on minutes now versus some of them used to be every six hours or 12 hours, and some are still run that way. So the temporal space, but also, you know, when you're looking at the geographic space as well. So, you know, the, the spatial domain and how much um, space there is between grid points in a model. And again, some of these things used to be pretty big. Now they're down to kilometers. Well, if you think about it, it's real easy to hop from one side of a city to another with just one or two grid points if, it's, if we're talking about tens of kilometers. So as you can imagine, these outputs... Um, are all you know a little bit of nuance or wrong can mean a big problem for even trying to forecast within a city uh, that might be you know a, I'll use a, a Denver Colorado that's up against the Rocky Mountains so what's happening in the western suburbs versus what's happening in you know east of the city two very different things quite often so you take these inputs so we've got these data points and this data sometimes is um, Again, not very dense in its collection. You've got the just the way the model is written, the physics it uses, and, and generalizations are made based on what we know and what the model can handle calculation-wise. And all those things, again, are thrown in a model and it spits it out. Well, the more times we can try to run the same scenario and slightly do what we call perturbations or, or you know, small modifications to those inputs help us understand if a weather system is still likely to behave in a certain way versus a situation where it has drastically different outcomes, you know, five and ten days down the road. So it's not just the outputs that are driven probabilistically, but it's also the, the inputs now that a, a weather forecaster is getting. And when they're going to drive a weather forecast for you, they're given probabilities as well. So that helps them better shape. And if you think about it, it could be that, you know, one outcome is there's a 100% chance of rain. And the other outcome, or let's just say 99, the other outcome is 1%. And, you know, maybe this is a forecast five days down the road. And there's a lot of reasons for this uncertainty. Well, that may 
the average may be a 50% forecast, but you're much better served if you understand that the real p- probabilities are there's a really high chance of a likely rain event or no rain event at all. Those Having those spectrums and having that information, again, can be very useful. And so we're going to touch on that in a future episode um, and you know how you can get better confidence in, in what the weather forecast is telling you, how you can get a better representation of uncertainty in what the weather forecast is um, providing for you. And I, you know, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of absorb this because I know I've thrown a, a lot of ideas out with this whole probability concept. But it is important information when you're doing anything that weather might impact what you're planning or your work environment. And, you know, as, as we get in deeper into this podcast, I think you're going to come to find out that weather is impacting you more than you realize, even every day, and the decisions you make, and uh, both as a personal and a, uh, in your business works as well. So keep that in mind. And, you know, let's, let's, like, like I said, let's absorb, and I'm going to come back to this in a couple episodes and talk about why you do actually want probabilistic forecast and how you can use them to your advantage. So just keep in mind, weather is not all that certain. Um, you know, the, you could have some level of certainty about it, but if someone tries to tell you it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow Fahrenheit or 25 degrees Celsius or whatever it is, and, uh, you're somebody who commutes for your daily work. Well, just imagine trying to give someone the day before an exact number of when you'll be home. You can, you know, you've probably done a commute long enough to know it's within a certain range, but you also know there's a lot of things that can drive a change, whether it's an accident in the way, whether it's weather causing uh, traffic interruptions or whatever it is. So just realize that most everything that we do in life is really about probabilities. So don't expect a meteorologist to give you a precise number. They're better off giving you a number that serves as a baseline from which uncertainty, confidence, distributions can impact what that information is telling you and how you best can use it. And don't be, don't be intimidated by any of those words. Those are all good words that will ultimately help you utilize your weather forecast all that much better. So, enough of probabilities. And like I said, I'm going to let you absorb all that this time, and next time we'll get into talking a little bit more about something else so that uh, we don't get over-scienced in our brain. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into language a little bit. Um, I, I've always been, you know, you've all, I, maybe you've heard this phrase that the Intuits have thousand words for snow. I, I hope that's true. I, I think that would be kind of cool. But I also want to touch on uh, some of the some of the terminology used for meteorologists around the world that I think you might get a little bit of a laugh at as well. So we're going to dive um, into the you know weather and language and how it influences language and how language uh, is used in interpreting weather. And then after that, I'm going to pick one. I had a, a really good suggestion come in from one of our listeners, Jack, um, who suggested a looking at historical events and, you know, not necessarily just any history event, but, you know, times where history was truly changed by weather. And he gave me a couple of good examples, and I'm probably going to pick those one of those and, and work with that. So um, thank you, Jack, for that feedback. It, that was a good idea. Um, and I like those sort of things. And, and there are definitely some cases that exist out, out there. 
um, and then we'll jump back into probabilities. And on the next vidcast next week, I will throw out there um, the perfect, well, it's going to be what I consider, the perfect weather for playing hooky. Now, that's a phrase that's kind of used in the U.S., and I know there are other cultures listening to this, and even in my research, whether it's um, I heard terms from skiving to bunking to dumping to taking a sickie, um, and there may be more. Actually, it'd be interesting to hear more, but I'm going to talk about what I think the perfect hooky weather is, and you know, maybe in your feedback after you've had a chance to view the video, you can share um, examples of what do you consider the perfect hooky weather. So keep an eye out for that next week, whether um, you're absorbing that on the through the the podcast feed or or on the YouTube channel. So, all right. So in summing things up a little bit, so since the last time we chatted, um, I will tell you that the YouTube channel is live. You can reach that from the website. So if you prefer to watch the vidcast through a YouTube app or through the YouTube website. Um, that certainly is an option now. I know a lot of people uh, enjoy doing using YouTube, so I'm going to make that available. Um, the growth has, has continued to be tremendous. The, our, our daily downloads, um, you know, we, we, we had gotten, there's still some cycles in it, but, um, you know, we're now up to 28 states, um, 16 countries around the world. Now, I still need these two continents. I, I don't know what we're going to do, but we got to figure out a way to get someone in Antarctica to listen and someone in Africa to listen. I think the Africa one's a little easier. The Antarctica one, I, I don't know. Maybe they have some messaging system that uh, I some I could spam them and get somebody to do a download, but I still think that'd be cool. I honestly don't know if there's an IP address set up for Antarctica or if it would come back showing that that's where it was from or not anyways. Anyway, it'd be kind of cool to get that. So how to get to us, same things. Uh, the web. What is it about the weather.com? Twitter, Instagram, you can follow me, Mark underscore Jelinek. One of them has the M and the J capitalized, the other lowercase, but just look for at Mark underscore Jelinek and you should get there. Facebook and LinkedIn, Mark T. Jelinek. And again, it's J E L I N E K. And with LinkedIn, I think you have to add a, another. It's LinkedIn.com slash in slash as opposed to with Facebook where it's just a slash. And lastly, um, you know, how can you support us? Well, again, yeah, I've, I've mentioned already that, uh, you know, your feedback's been great, and I, and I appreciate that. But I, I've gone and I've, I've taken an old acronym, RSVP, and I put kind of a new spin on it. So first, rate. If you use iTunes or Pocket Cast or any of these aggregators of podcasts that allow you to rate them, please, please rate us. I hope for good rating. But rating leads to discovery. That's, that's how they promote which, you know, podcast when you do a search on the word weather we've already jumped up uh, because a couple people have have gone in and, and put stars down or whatever else and that helps so one rate two share and you know i had somebody ask her are you okay with me sharing yes please share send it to a million friends i mean I, I don't want you spamming anybody but the more people that you tell personally about the podcast or vidcast the more likely it is they're going to listen. I mean, they, they may get some indication it exists, but, you know, people listen to people they trust. So, you know, whether it's sharing on Facebook when you see my post, whether it's just, you know, popping in an email to somebody that you know really likes weather stuff, or when you're listening to it, um, you know, if, if it reminds you of popping an email to somebody or forwarding the, uh, the iTunes link or the Google Play link. And I will note that the Google Play 
uh, did go live, but it's for audio only at this point. But we are out there as well, and we were the second one to come up when you searched weather. Validate. So we're RSVP, validate. That gets to the feedback part. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. You know, give us ideas. Let us know that we're delivering something that you think is valuable and enjoyable, and you're getting something out of it. Lastly, pledge. And that gets into the Patreon piece. It's, it's real simple. Value for value model. If you're getting some sort of value on this, and Patreon will let you do anything, I think, as low as a dollar a month. Um, if you're getting that kind of value out of, of the podcast and vidcast series, great. We'd love you to support us on Patreon. If you're not ready to do that yet, again, any of these things help. We're at such an early stage that anything you can do to you know convey um, the podcast to someone else, whether it's you know sharing it with them, like I said, or you know doing the ratings or whatever, those things help too and are equally as important. So, in any way you're supporting us, thank you. Um, like I said, the feedback so far has been great, and I've heard from people that I didn't necessarily ever expect to hear from um, that have you know listened to the podcast or watched the vidcast. So thank you, and as always, have good and exciting weather. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreoncom slash weather This is a two white super production.